Welcome to Revere Assets, Your Money, with Danny Stewart. You never know how far the stock is going to go down. Tim Razor. Danny knows I'm a geek for all of this stuff. And Don Vandenborg. Telling it like it is. If you're seeking the best stock knowledge this side of Wall Street, you've come to the right place. I'm sorry, did I steal your stuff? No, you didn't steal any thunder. Who's handling this segment? (laughs) For the next hour, Danny, Tim, and Don will be talking investing. Investing is 90% psychological, and I love that. Trades. The market will usually overshoot to the downside and to the upside. And dumpster fires. Because it doesn't matter what you think or what I think, and it matters even less what Danny thinks. And now, here's your hosts... Danny, Tim, and Don. Those who have knowledge don't predict. Those who predict don't have knowledge. I think that might be Don's new favorite quote, but I have another. I, I love that. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on, don't, uh, hang, uh, uh, just give me a second. All you right. can chime in. Hold the on. second quote, because me thinks Don might like this one even better. By the way, do you know who said that quote, Don? Uh, besides me? Lao Tzu, the famous Chinese <laughs> philosopher from, that, you know, you a long, long it? time ago. <laughs> in a place far, far away. I mean, they were they were that smart eons ago, man. What have we lost? Brilliant. Brilliant. Now, the second quote. Given the difficulties for given the difficulties forecasting the future, it is very useful to simply know the present. That is unknown. The well, author's unknown. I'll I'll still I, I like them both. But the first one's pretty I good. Like, I, it's, yeah. Yeah. I still like it's not how much you make, it's how much you keep. Oh, oh so, so really Don, Don won't, can't get them off there. Can't get them off there. Anyway. So. How about, how about um, do, do, you know, do you know the one, um, pr- predictions are, are hard, um, especially when they're about the future. That was <laughs> yeah. a good one, too. Did Yogi Berra say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Oh, man. Um Anyway, and Forrest Gump's mom, stupid is a stupid does. That's yeah. that covers that's a lot a of things. That, that's that's a classic yeah. too. All right, folks. So think about that because because this is going to be a little bit of the linchpin of this show. By the way, I can't take credit for finding those. That's actually in an article that talks about the investment industry cons- spending devotes considerable time and resources to forecasting but it's questionable at best. Remember, I've gone on the thing for about two months about how bad forecasting, how ridiculous it is, you know? And and now this article is actually confirming what I'm talking about. And then it's also, there's another one that's related that it's talking about retirement goals. Believable misinformation is dangerous to long-term retirement goals. And we're going to go into that because they're, they're talking about Wall Street little sayings and little things that are kind of rules of thumb Hmm. that people actually use, but there's really no factual basis or data to back it up. Now, folks, that doesn't mean you shouldn't plan or prepare. You still got to plan and and do what you can to minimize taxes, maximize your potential for growth, all that kind of stuff. But you got to do it with the current available knowledge. 
You can't do it based on a forecast one, two, three years out when you're talking about stocks. Now, 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 one of the questions I've gotten, because I've been I've been talking to two business owners just this last week, small business owners, and they're trying to figure out how they can, you know, help reduce their taxes, save for retirement, do all that kind of stuff. And then they also kind of do talking about estate planning, right? So if you're a business owner, should you combine estate planning with business planning? Can they be commingled? And the answer is an unequivocal yes. You got to do it right, but it's a yes. Now that gets a little bit too deep, and I don't I don't want to dot because that gets really heady on you know type of business structure, all kinds of different things, and, and so so I can't I can't you know call me if you got some kind of business uh, small business planning, but. But, but, you know, seriously, most people want to pay their, you know, work their fair share of work, pay their fair share of taxes, and, and, and have an uncomplicated life. The problem is the government and the IRS, the politicians, know how you think, and they tax how you think. So you've got to change your behavior a little bit, make things a little bit more complicated, and then you can avoid paying taxes and even estate taxes altogether. If you think Bill Gates is going to pay any estate tax, you're, you're wrong or Buffett, none of those guys. But they went through a complicated thing, set up family foundations and whatnot. If you're a little bit lesser, you know, only 20, 30, 40 million, you know, probably a family limited partnership or some kind of defective trust or, you know, dynasty trust. Again, all those are very good, but they're way too complicated to the, I mean, it'll grind the show to a halt and I'm talking to two out of a hundred people. So let's go for the broader one, something you can do, and that is retirement plans so if you optimize the 401k, you're a small business owner, or you work for a small business, you can tell your boss, hey, boss, this really isn't come out. Your, your tax savings, I mean, your matching for me as employee is going to come out of your tax savings. And by the way, you can put in like 22.5 of your own employee deferral as an employee, and I can put in 22.5 employee. And if you're over the new to this year, and then if you're over 50, you can put up to $30,000. So that beats a pants, the beats a pants out of an IRA for 6,500 or 7,000. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's based as long as you have that earned income. So you can be making 50 or 60 or $70,000 and still put in that 22,500 or the 30 if you're over 70, if you can afford the cash flow. With IRAs and stuff, it does, it's not, or like even a profit sharing or a SEP plan, it's based on a percentage of salary. So you got to be making a whole lot of money. To be able to put in twenty two five or or, or thirty thousand dollars, this is based on a percentage. Anyway, there and and then if you're really making a ton of money with not too many employees, you could do a defined benefit plan. You know the plans that they're the pension plans are trying they're trying to get away from them at General Motors and and the big corporations. But for small businesses, if the demographics and census works out, it works out beautifully. Anyway, folks, I just, you know, I get calls and I, I, I am delinquent. I don't talk about planning and the holistic picture, retirement planning, education funding, or especially corporate state planning, because it's really boring. I'm very good at it. I just don't like doing it. But, but I do it for clients, pro bono. It's part of their deal. So in any event, and if you're thinking about it, if you got questions, you can certainly bring it up on the show. All right. Enough said about that, because I just wanted to bring that up now. I want to talk about the forecasting and the misinformation. Forecasting and misinformation. And, oh, they're, well, they're they're I mean, they're 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 the same side. They're the different sides of the same, same coin. Yeah, Is it heads or tails? 
because part of that misinformation hurts the, well, I, I digress. I'll, I'll get into it. So basically, and that's where this article, it says those who have knowledge don't predict. Those who predict don't have knowledge. Lao Tzu. Okay. Right. So in uh, William Sher Sheridan, Sh Sheridan, in his famous, in, in, the, in his book, The Fortune Sellers, and this is in 1998, he said the prediction business was $200 billion on Wall Street for mostly erroneous predictions. Hell, if you make enough predictions, you're going to get a couple right. <laughs> uh, really? Right. I mean, that's yeah. like Monte Carlo simulation. Sure. You do 10,000 yeah. simulations, one or two of them are going to hit it. Monkeys on typewriters, right? I mean, right? somebody wins the lottery. <laughs> Wasn't me, but somebody wins. Anyway. All right. So, but just to make it hit close to home, and this is, by the way, why Tim, who used to work for us, Tim Razor, got in the business, and why Don got in the business because they got burned by unscrupulous advisors or just sat there and buy and hold a drink too late and they got slaughtered in the tech rink and they said, never again, we're not going to do that again. And so it was much, much less pain. In fact, no pain through the economic crisis or down single digit. So anyway, so here below are the findings from his book. No better than guessing. That was one factoid. Mm. No long-term accuracy. Cannot predict turning points like, oh, I think the Fed's going to stop four months out and then rates are going to, you know, whatever. Okay. Cannot predict turning points. No leading forecasters. No forecast was better with specific statistics uh, like the BLS, CPI, all that other stuff. Yeah. No ideology was better, meaning one kind of forecasting was better than the other kind of forecasting. They all were pretty bad. Uh, consensus forecasts do not improve accuracy. People will actually go data mine and find another forecast that meets their forecast. And they'll go, oh, look, see, this guy agrees with me. I must be right. That's right. Okay. Psychological bias dis distorts forecasters. That's kind of what I'm saying. They're, they're biased. They'll start looking for people that agree with them. Increased sophistication does not improve accuracy. Monte Carlo simulation. No improvements over the years. Okay, so in other words, the forecasts are just as bad today, even with AI, than they were 20 years ago. Okay, now, this guy, this next quote, given the difficulties forecasting the future, it is very, it is very useful to simply know the present. Meaning, if the stock is tanking, you sell it, you don't hold. Okay, enough said. Okay. So, uh, and I'm not a big fan. I mean, Barry Ritz also, okay. I'm not a huge fan of his, but he wrote this in his blog uh, a while ago. He wrote, how ridiculous forecasting business has become. End of year forecast uh, over the next stock. So it, this was issued in August 14, 2000. And this was by Fortune Magazine, uh, the 10 stocks to last a decade. <laughs> Oh, I got it. That's like, well, oh, this stock you just stick in your drawer. Sure. Oh, this stock you hold forever. That's right. Okay. You ready for this list? Yes, please. Nokia. At the time of this, Nokia was $54 a share. Nortel Networks, $77 a share. Enron. Yeah. $73 <laughs> a share. Everybody yeah. from Texas knows that's zero now. Mm. Oracle, $74 a share. Broadcom, $237 a share. 
Viacom, $69 a share. Univision, $113. Charles Schwab, $36. Morgan Stanley, Dean Witter, $89. Genetech, $150. That was a DNA company. That was $150. Closing price as December 9, 2012. This was 10 years later, right? Nokia, $4.22. It was $54. Uh, quick math. How big is that loss? Huge. Okay. Um, Nortel. Where is that? Nortel is, oh, zero. Zero. That's an easy one. How much did they lose? 100%. <laughs> Enron. There's another 100%. Love it. Oracle, 33.22, and it was 74, so you lost half. Viacom, 54. It was at 69, so you didn't lose that. You only lost 20, 20% on Viacom, 25. You didn't get crushed. Now, you lost 20% over 10 years, so that was dead money for a long time. Um, Univision. Well, that's just a question mark. Nobody really knows. <laughs> it's like petty. They're still arguing. Legal. Uh, Schwab, still around. Uh, Schwab is uh, 1461 at that time. And what did we say Schwab was? 36 at that time. That was not. Yeah, it was. You lost two thirds. Morgan Stanley, fourteen twenty. It was at eighty nine, and Genetech ninety five dollars. So Genetech only lost two uh, a third. So here's the point. Here's what you got to realize: leading stocks on average fall seventy two percent in a bear market. But here's even more important: you don't know that the leading so leading stocks they lead on the way up. They also lead on the way down. Big money is going to start taking. The big gains where the profit is. But when those things fall, you don't know that they're going to be the leaders next time around. And we're Don and the guys will talk about that later. The sector rotation, things changing, different leaders emerge each time. You may get one that lasts a couple cycles, but you don't know that in advance. Okay. So it said the portfolio manage, the portfolio managed lose 74% bankruptcies, bailouts. Now, granted, they did have three bankruptcies there, but those were the darlings of Wall Street. In the 90s, almost every portfolio had those if you didn't sell. So I think most investors and traders want to read or hear forecasts to find one or more that support their hope about the market direction. If you are a true technical analyst with discipline and confidence, you don't need to read or hear a forecast. In fact, you won't even, you don't want to make you biased. However, that is a tall order, true, and one, uh, and one most are not equipped to deal with. That's also true. Technical analysis is very hard. Of course, I'm not talking about stockcharts.com readers. Ouch. Okay. So that was that. Now on a related topic, and I'm going to try to move this along, believable misinformation is, is danger to long-term uh, retirement goals. We cannot afford to accept investment-related information as we understand as common knowledge. Okay. So let's see if you've ever heard any of these, Zach. Yeah, I know the guys let's have. Let's hear them. Huh? I said, let's hear them. Buy and hold. Oh, Don's going to just start shaking. That little, that little vein in his neck's going to stop popping out. Buy and hold is a proven strategy for the stock market. Eh. <laughs> what if you bought and hold Enron? You lost 100%. Not a winner, huh? Yeah, look, if you're an oak tree and your lifespan is two, 300 years, you're fine. But if you only got 15, 20, 30 years to aggressively save and then 20 years to take it out, 
it depends on timing does mean an issue. I'm not talking about day trading or swing trading, but I'm talking about kind of momentum. Yes. The shifts and trends, stuff like that. Timing okay. matters. Economists are good at predicting the markets. I've never known an economist, including my former partner, Dan Kofal, who was good at making money. He's a great economist, but he just loaded up on gold. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Diversification protects against losses. Ooh. Ooh. Now, um, that was Markowitz. Markowitz is efficient frontier. He had a lot of stuff that was actually mathematically questionable. <laughs> well, they, it's fuzzy math. I mean, I don't know. I, you know, they, they assume that returns are under the normal standard distribution, the bell curve. Returns aren't normally distributed. Ergo, bad data, bad input, bad output. What is that? Garbage in, garbage out, Don? Okay. So That's correct. Basically, divert, the problem with diversification, folks, the theory is that some things go up, some things go out, down, and it kind of smooths out. It hedges your position. The problem is when it hits the fan and you get in a bear market, all the correlations grow together and it all drops together. So like in the economic crisis, 2008, S&P was down 42%, NASDAQ 50, small cap 60, and international down 70. Take your pick. If you had a blended portfolio, you were down 50, right? Now, if you had some bonds, you only lost 20 or 30. Only treasury bonds and gold made money during uh, uh, 20, 2008, right? And when gold and treasuries are highly positively correlated, that's usually a fear trade. Your antenna should be up. That usually means there's problems. Uh, there's there's uh, trouble in Denmark. Um, now, let me go to this next one. These are very good. Probabilities and risk are essentially the same thing. No. <laughs> no. It, it's Well, you've got to understand that probabilities help you and kind of give you a better possible outcomes, but it doesn't mean, it does help you manage risk, but it's not risk. It's not the same thing as risk. Chasing performance will work. Well, there's been lots of studies on performance chasers. We know that won't work at all. And, and also, there's structural problems with mutual funds that are the reason that it won't work. And I've talked about that in the past. If you've got any questions on the structural problems, with mutual funds, you can reach out and call me. I do not want to get into that at the moment. Uh, but anyway, before we go on, is there anything you would like to add, Don? Or, I mean, you can wait till the market time, but uh, you might be chopping a bit. I don't know. I, you know. Well, I end up every uh, video with just the facts, no opinions at Revere. So I, I think um, I think we're, we're in line with our thinking there, Daniel. <laughs> okay. All right. Now, so we got that out of the way. Now, now, oh, there is one more. Uh, that's on the show notes. All um, of these are on the show well, notes. Well, yes, it, it, you can read it. Basically, basically it is, is your, are you and your personal information a trade secret? Meaning it's their proprietary data. Does the brokerage firm own you? Mm. Are you a product of the brokerage firm. Ed Jones thinks so. A lot of others too, though. But, you know, they're suing because they're, this guy left and took some clients with him. So it is true you're not supposed to take the company material, company list, whatever. But once you leave, if you have knowledge of the people, I mean, you're friends with them, you know them, it's competition. They're free to 
go with so you know if you don't like Levere, you come on board with it's, us. You're free to go. Everybody yeah, else. So we're too detained. Hey, hey, you can you know yeah. you can do what you want. If we can't stand the muster, then that's fine. But Ed Jones said that your personal information is a trade secret, and I get it. They don't want you taking it. Right, privacy is important. But but anyway, I just want to let you know that that's how the custodians, all of them, by the way, feel about you. You are their product, not their fiduciary obligation. Right. So all custodians, all broker dealers, none of them, to my knowledge, are fiduciaries. But they're a good place to hold the assets. You just don't want the advice from a non-fiduciary. All right, enough said. Now. We are going to go into a little bit of topic in the mailbag before we dive deep in the markets. Don, were you able to put up, pull up that debt chart by chance, by chance, by chance? Yes. Okay. So I got a wonderful, and I, I don't, I think she'll won't mind using her name because she tweeted me. Her name is Nicole, and she tweeted me. Uh, uh, she tagged me on a tweet, really. Yeah. And because this this economist, this this lady, this uh, financial. Uh, uh, woman on Twitter posted this chart of our increasing looming debt issue, problem, crisis, um, hyperinflation, <laughs> the destruction of the dollar. Yes, you know, and there's got and, and look, I get it. Now, so right there is she's asking, could you, could you, you know, could you expand on that? Okay. Yes. Oh, and I forgot, I I had my hundred trillion dollar legal currency Zimbabwe dollar in my office. I meant to bring it out and show it to you. When one of those guys talks, maybe I'll go grab it. But we'll talk about that in a minute. So along along with that, Don got an email, I think last night or early this morning. Hi, Don. Hope you were well. Just finished up watching today's video. So yesterday. Couldn't ask for much of a better day in the markets. Just wondering if you and or Revere have any concerns surrounding U.S. debt crisis? Interested in your thoughts. Thanks. See, and this is Don's um, comment. Mildly concerned currently. The concern will increase as we approach June when Yellen says we'll run out of money. That's a political game they play. And this is C again. I am currently looking at getting some exposure to gold just because I can't currently see the situation ending well for the USD, the dollar. I think there is a cause for concern when looking at their options, given the current numbers. Debt to GDP is 120%. Do you think there's a chance they'll raise the debt ceiling again, even though Biden says has said no to the option previously? That's kind of surprising. Uh, Don, they will, they will raise it. The alternative is default. Remember with the dollar, there really is no alternative currency. The euro and the yen countries ha are in the same financial mess as the U.S., as the U.S. is. Don't fear hyperinflation in the U.S. dollar. So then I they copied me on it, so I jumped in. Chris, excuse me, see, Don is correct. Currencies are all, currencies are all on a relative basis. We are the best slash strongest of the worst. But what differentiates us from a banana republic, Zimbabwe, or even the U.S. or Japan is our nuclear aircraft carriers, our F-16s, F-35s, and our nuclear subs. Our military might is the reason the U.S. dollar is the reserve currency, like it or not. Don't ever forget that. That is the reason. It's confidence. We project power and instability, again, on a relative basis. 
This is also why when it hits the fan, for lack of a, I can't use the other word, there is a flight to assets globally to the U.S., specifically treasuries, often along with gold. But you are correct. Yes, our almighty dollar will at some point stop being the world's reserve currency. But we're a long way off from that, despite all the doom and gloomers on the Internet. Japan started monetizing their debt with their debt G GDP well over 100%. I think it's like three, I mean, I haven't looked in a long time. Michael may know. He likes the fundamental stuff. But, but it's like th over 300%. It, but they, they were well over 100% in 1991. Over 30 years ago, the yen is still considered a safe haven. Your fears, though, were not mutually exclusive uh, to a good plan. You can, you can own physical precious metals with around 10% of your portfolio as insurance against your paper assets. Meaning if you're really worried, gold can be a hedge. Just don't go overboard. If gold goes to 10,000, like many pundits are saying, then you, your gold will offset your other assets. Folks, if gold goes to 10,000 an ounce, you're also going to need some lead too to protect the gold. Um, but to go all in on gold is not prudent, in my opinion. I will talk more about my former, I'm going to do this. I'll talk more about my former partner, Dan Kofel, on the podcast. If you ever need any advice on physical metals, bars, coins, numismatics, reach out to me. Thanks. Okay. So I'm going to kind of combine this into just a little bit of a, of a, of a philosophical debate. So what Don showed was the exponential growth of our debt. And pretty soon what happens is the interest expense on the debt crowds out everything else we're spending on. And pretty soon, so just with interest rates rising by, by four, three, four percent, you increased our, our, our deficit, our annual deficit by hundreds of billions of dollars. Okay, just an interest expense. So at some point you hit the point of no return and you got to start monetizing, meaning you just put fake money in there and stick it in there. Okay, there's two ways the government can, can, can legitimately raise money or spend money for taxes, to spend money. Because they don't produce anything. Remember that. They don't produce anything. They take from us for services and some of those are valid. Some of them are ridiculous, but they can either borrow money by issuing bonds or they can uh, um, um, raise tax, you know, do it off tax receipts, raise taxes. Okay. Now, the third way that they've been doing lately is called monetization. That's where you just stick money in the system without any corresponding debit or credit. And so, so this is why inflation is only monetary. Folks, if you have, if the Straits of Hormuz get blocked, so oil doesn't flow, the price of oil will easily go up to $200, $300 a barrel. That'll feel like inflation to you when the price of gas goes to $10 a gallon. But really, that's a supply-demand issue. That's a, the, the supply was cut with no corresponding cut in demand. Therefore, it bids up the price. If you've got a ton of supply, if, the, if, if Saudi Arabia says we're going to flood the market with oil, the price drops, That's a, right? That's normal economics. When you have a trillion dollars of assets, it used to be a billion a few years ago when I was telling this story, now it's a trillion. And you've got a trillion dollars of money to back those. If you just print a trillion dollars and stick it in the system, now you've got, without producing anything, now you've got the same uh, 
amount of assets, but more twice as many dollars chasing those assets. So it bids up the price just because you printed more supply of paper dollars. Okay? That's what inflation is. When you start monetizing, that means you just stick it in the system and it won't have any effect. And that's why these Keynesian economists now have this new MMT, Modern Monetary Theory. It's literally a new theory saying you can print as much money as you want, stick it in the system, and it won't have any effect. Well, we found out last year that's not true. It's not, math is math, economics is economics. You can try to put lipstick on the pig and call it what you want. It still doesn't change the numbers. So anyway, getting to the debt question and the gold question, because those are related, we can keep printing and keep this Ponzi scheme going for much, much longer than, than people believe. Yeah, at some point there'll have to be a reset, but we might be dead before that happens, or we might be 60 or 80. But also, price is truth, and you'll see gold and other things heating up. So you could own some physical gold. Don't go overboard because it's hard to liquidate and quick. But you can also buy paper gold and paper miner, gold miners and whatever. And you can own companies that mine. Okay? And that will help you offset. That's a better way to do it. So my former partner, Dan Kopal, he owned a, I mean, literally was all in on gold, right? And years ago, like 2014, 13, I think, memory serves, gold ran up to $1,900 an ounce. Just went up just a ticket. Silver went up to just under 50. It went up to like 49.80 and just rolled over hard and just started going down. And I called, I said, Kofal, you got to sell it. You got to sell some. Oh, no, because then I got to get back in. What am I going to do? Well, oh, I, I don't want to. I said, it's not. And all of a sudden, gold goes down to like 1600. So now he's lost a lot. He comes in. Oh, my God, what do I do? What do I do? I said, if you're worried and it's scaring you, you're too top heavy in gold. It's an asset just like a stock. Okay. Everything is equity to me. I don't care if it's bonds, real estate, stocks. It's all about price and It's all equity. It's all an investment. If it's going up, I like it. If it's not going up, I don't. And it's hard to do that. Anyway, so with with his, so then it goes to four, 1350. He comes in literally white as a sheet, sweating bullets. Oh my God, what do I do? I said, it's not too late. It, you, you should, you're not listening, so what does it matter? Right. All right, all right, well. Okay. So finally it hits 1200. He comes in and he goes, all right, uncle. Now this was iron ball, I mean, iron hands co-fall, right? He was never going to sell his gold. He was planning on dying with it. He said, uncle, at 1200, I walked in the other room, called a couple of my clients and said, you remember you were asking me about physical gold and when is a good time to buy it? Because they were wanting to buy it at 18, 1900. I said, now is the time to buy it. And they said, why do you say that? And I said, because I just got a buy sign from God. <laughs> and they said, what do you mean? I said, Kofal is selling his. The final last week hands have just sold. It may not be the bottom. It may go down a little bit more. And it went down about 1100 or something, 1050. And then it went up from there. Okay. But the point being is gold is one of those asset classes that's long-term stability. If you believe, you know, so for long-term, you'd want some physical precious metals. And for the short midterm, you trade around it with what Don's doing with the GDX and GLD and there's others, and there's actually gold miners, and you can do that. 
Okay. So you can plan for that thing. The problem is you don't want to go overboard because what happens if they have a uh, collapse, they screw up and they actually cause massive deflation because gold goes down in deflation. Right, Don? That's the common knowledge that they tell you. Did you know in 1930s, during the massive deflation in the Great Depression, you can't measure gold because they confiscated it. But they confiscated it from us at 1750, and they sold it back in the international market at $35 an ounce. This is our government, a few years later. So they made 100% in three years on gold. I thought gold did, went down in No, it's fear. It's a great fear trade. Silver. Silver, because they didn't confiscate our silver. Silver was the best asset during the 30s, averaging 14% annualized from like 1931 or 2 to 38, 37, right? That swap in there. Now, gold miners, if you own, because you couldn't own gold, but you could own gold miners. Some of those gold miners were up 60, 70% a year annualized. So, People were actually buying gold out of fear, not because of deflation. So don't just think if we go into deflation, it may or not. I don't know whether it's going to do well or not. That's why I'm going to follow the charts because I'm not smart enough to figure it out because I hear all these theories. And when I see the prices, when those things happen, the economic cycle goes through that, all these theories and forecasts aren't accurate. They, they don't really help. You're wrong is more than you're right. So Don always says it's okay to be wrong. It's, 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 it's not okay to stay wrong. Okay. Now, so getting back to the debt, the reason that debt is a problem. And I had told uh, Michael the other day, he was talking about debt and said, what do you think? And the jobs numbers and stuff. And I, I made the comment that a government job is not the same thing as a private sector job. Do you know why? And I left it hanging out there because I wanted him to think about it. Because Kofal, Dan, that economist I told you about, my former partner, he actually came up with the Kofal curve. Like you've heard of the Laffer curve with they were talking about, um, you know, taxes and stimulating the economy and stuff. He was talking about government jobs versus uh, the growth in the economy and stuff. Folks, it takes on average eight to 10 private sector jobs, depending on how much they make their salary. OK, to support one good government paying job. Because how do you think they get their salaries from tax revenue? So you got to have enough working people in the private sector to, to pay for government jobs. That's why socialism doesn't work. Because when you get too far, to, too far, socialism, communism, you got too many government things crowding out and it's not efficient and it gets worse and it slows down. So in any event, our debt is going to be an issue. It is going to be a problem. The good news is we are the best of the worst. I, and a lot of people say, well, what about China? Folks, China hides their debt in the, uh, what do they call them? The, not states, um, uh, not principalities. They're whatever their states and their providences are, right? They don't have it at the federal level. They have it at the state and local level. And that's how they kind of hide it here. I mean, we've got a lot of state and local debt too, but we have a lot of our debt at the national federal level and they push it down. It makes it much harder to track. Okay. But the point being is, as long as it's a relative basis, we're not going to hyperinflate like a Zimbabwe due to our military might and due to our confidence. Now, 
it, now, that doesn't mean the dollar won't erode, especially against hard assets or commodities or what have you. Now, those things will have wild swings. So if you're going to go to an asset allocation pie chart stuff, be ready and hold on, man. Hold on for that eight-second ride because you're going to be a bull rider. Okay? You're going to join the PBRC. And you may make be fine in the long run. We'd rather do it using technicals and, and try to catch the a lot of the chunk up. We won't catch it all and try to miss a lot of it down. That's easier said than done. I hope I kind of went over that uh, pretty well. Don, you want to chime in on the debt? Uh, I want to chime in on the gold dollar relationship and the fact that both gold and gold miners are given a short-term sell signal today with a break below the 21-day exponential moving average. They had been riding that up since uh, early November. And as we know, things don't continually go straight up. It may be time for this to build a base. Uh, but gold and gold miners had a false breakout the day of the FOMC meeting this week. You can see gold breaking out here above this little tight range. This was on Jay Powell. Uh, his afternoon press conference, you can see the move up. But the next day, it immediately gave it all back, melted into the close, and then this morning, another gap down, and it's at lows of the day so far. This is completely inverse correlated to what we're seeing with the dollar. Here's the dollar, sold off on Jay Powell the next day, gapped up, flagged, the, and now today, gapping up again because of the strong jobs report. This implies that the Fed may not be doing their pause as soon as they, as soon as the market thinks they might uh, have done it. But this is a short-term breakout for the dollar, short-term breakdown for gold and gold stocks. And uh, the next level up is the medium-term trend line on the dollar. Means the next level down is the medium-term trend line for gold, the 50-day moving average, and then below that the long-term trend line for gold, the 200-day moving average, the long-term trend line for the dollar above the 200-day moving average. Almost perfect inverse correlation between gold and the dollar. And that's that's more common than them being positively correlated. I'm sorry, go ahead, Don. That's it. That's okay. Um, okay. So the timing for that uh, letter and, um, and uh, the charts don't lie. This is what the market's doing. Selling, yeah. buying dollar, selling gold the last two days. And, and by the way, that actually makes economic sense that because theoretically, the now, first of all, the jobs came out much, much stronger than they thought. But let's remember, this is their seasonality adjustment. And last year, when they did that seasonality adjustment, they had a mistake by one million. They had to come back and re oh, well, there really weren't. We, we were off by a million jobs. We really didn't create it. We got to lower that number. So, so and new jobs came out over 500,000, right? So Michael can tell you the exact number, but it's over 500. Well, that's half as much as the revision from last year. So take it a little bit with a grain of salt, those margin for errors. But Don's right. Because of strong jobs, it means they may still kind of keep interest rates up, protects the dollar. That's bad for commodities and gold. That puts pressure on it in the long, in the short term. Now, as soon as they start ease, I'm with, but that is not always the case. That's why you got to follow the charts. Sometimes the economic sense doesn't line up. 
those forecasts don't right the work. last two days with the str the strong dollar had, had had an inverse correlation with stocks and it's completely flipped now the the yeah. dollar uh is not impacted the strength in the market at all the last two days yeah so now if you actually are are trying to track and find an entry then you would wait what don is saying is you'd wait for a a, a pullback to into support whether that's midterm or long term, you'd wait. And if it holds at midterm and then starts getting strength, then you might pull the trigger there. But if it breaks through midterm, then you want to wait for long term. You've got to pick your pitch. You just don't buy randomly. You've got to use rules. Okay. So I think I, I hit that pretty well. Uh, Nicole, if you've got any other questions, give me a call. You've got my number uh, if you want. And see if you want to uh, talk a little bit more about that. I'd be happy to talk about that. I also don't. I'm, I'm also because of Dan Copal, I actually become I become very very well versed in physical precious metals, gold bars, coins, pneumatics, uh, 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 you know. So I just don't talk about it very much. So if if anybody wants to talk about that, all right. So let's dive right into the markets. I'm going to turn it over to Don, and Don can bring on the team and as he see fits. And we're going to talk about what's going on in the markets, the market breath. What is that telling us? And what are the best sectors that seem to be setting up, Don? Let's go to uh, a 60-minute chart of the S&P 500 here. And uh, it's very clear on this chart uh, where Powell was speaking. Well, let's go to a 15-minute chart. Where Powell, uh, where the Fed decision came and what the reaction to that decision was and what I'm showing here is uh, the 2 to 2.30 period on Wednesday when he started speaking and he started mentioning about how much they are seeing disinflation throughout the economy. That was all the market needed uh, to take off to the upside. Uh, strong finish uh, on Wednesday. Then uh, Meta, formerly known as Facebook, reported very good earnings after hours Wednesday. That uh, lit a fire under a bunch of social media and uh, communications companies, and they gapped up on Thursday. A little attempt at a pullback, follow through to the upside. Then after hours yesterday, Amazon, Apple, and Google, all of which benefited greatly from the gap up uh, after Facebook's earnings, all uh, initially had negative reactions to their earnings report. Well, that was temporary as of right now, temporary for Apple. As of right now, Apple uh, is up 4%. Amazon not really recovering that much, still down 4%, but above uh, the Thursday morning open. And Google has had a big turnaround. It's only down 1% now. So here's another attempted sell-off at the market this morning. And all these sell-off attempts are being bought up. And this uh, is in contrast to uh, the former inverse correlation with the dollar, which I showed previously, uh, the dollar showing strength uh, yesterday morning and this morning, and, but it's not holding stocks back at all. Uh, it is gold, it is gold stocks, and it is silver. Those are both, uh, all three getting hit uh, by the strong dollar, but the market is shaking it off. So right now we've got an inflection point. That inflection point was what was the S&P 500 level at when Jerome Powell was speaking? That level is 4050. And uh, that's our downside uh, area where any move below that would be a change in character for the market. We're at 4173 now. 
so less than uh, less than three percent downside uh, to a change in character with the market. So right now we broke out. We're continuing to hold the strength. Any pullbacks the last two days or since uh, since Wednesday afternoon are being bought, and a change in character at the 40-50 level, which is where we were when uh, the Fed released uh, the statement. Uh, that would be the key level to get cautious below. Other than that, uh, any pullbacks, as I said, continue to get bought, and that's the approach that we're taking at Revere also. So that's uh, an, from an index standpoint. Let's go and listen to some individual stock sectors and some macro. Connor, you want to take it away and go first? Yeah, so um, I've got five stocks from my sector again. Uh, the first one is AXON. If you could pull up a chart. Um, so AXON, this is a company that develops technology and weapons for military, law enforcement, civilians, and their main product is, is the Taser and it's a line of electroshock weapons. <clears throat> Price is really nice. It, it's for it's breaking out into new all-time highs and um, sitting over that key uh, 200 psych level. Um, what we would like to see moving forward, I think, would be positive is for it to form a little bit of a handle, provide a little low-risk entry. But other than that, from a price perspective, I think this one's looking very good. And in terms of story, um, they have a great story. Uh, their recent earnings report they they express that uh, their taser, their body cameras, their cloud-based evidence systems for uh, law enforcement seem to be nearing its uh, cruising altitude. So they've been expressing that um, a lot of their products are starting to be used from uh, law enforcement and, and military. And basically uh, what their plan is, they call it the moonshot plan. And that is that their goal is to cut gun-related deaths between police and the public in half over the next decade. Um, they think their product can revolutionize this and, and they think they're at the forefront of this. Um, and just in terms of like what market they're going after, the in their presentation, they listed this, uh, the total addressable market is 52 billion. And with their product, they, they believe they can capture a lot of this. Um, if the taser becomes the weapon of choice for self-defense, then it, it can account for a lot of that uh, market cap. And their taser sales are growing at 19% uh, a year, and that's accounted for 46% uh, of their revenue. So that's a big part of it. But Technicals in the story of this one look pretty good, so continue to monitor that one. Um, the next one is FOUR. This is a shift for payments. I mentioned this one before, and these payment processors continue to act uh, really well. We are watching it over that uh, 50, 51 level. That was like the stage one base, and after clearing that level, it, it's... It's been riding the eight and 21 higher in a, in a stage two uptrend looking very good. And some from a fundamental story uh, perspective, it does have some good wild card. It's currently partnered with three Elon Musk owned companies, uh, Starlink, SpaceX, and the Boring Company. And there's some speculation that if Twitter wants to integrate um, a payment processor into the platform, uh, Shift4 could be 
could be the candidate for that. And I think that that would get a lot of positives for the stock and the stock price. Um, they report earnings uh, in 25 days on February 28th. So that will be key to see how the market takes that. But last earnings, they increase positive guidance. So it's, it's always not about exactly what the earnings say. It's just about how the market takes it and what the stock price does. So watching to see how it reacts there. And then the next one is AXP. This is American Express. This is probably one of the best earning gap ups, move hires I've seen in the market. I mean, it, it gapped up on earnings and, and formed three to four tight tight range in, in that candle. And now it's, it's clearing that high today. Um, this is another payment processor. So clearly uh, the leaders are showing themselves for an AXP are, are two of the leaders in this sector that I'm seeing. So wanted to highlight that one as well. Um, next one is HOG. This is Harley, uh, Harley Davidson manufacture motorcycles and parts. Um, this is another one. It had a very nice positive reaction off earnings. It gapped up over 10% on 256% average volume. Um, so that's, that's the reaction you want to see when a stock's reporting earnings. It means a lot of people are, are liking the reaction, are trying to get in. And some highlights from their earnings was that uh, they were able to highlight that rising global shipments sent their revenues up 12%. They have been seeing strong demand in Japan, China, and that sent their Asia retail numbers up double, double digits. And they're, they're forecasting 4 to 7% revenue growth this year. So. Sometimes, you know, when a stock gaps up on earnings, it, it can come back down. But we've seen recently is sometimes they gap up and, and they don't look back. So you can use that candle high as a entry to get in. And you can also use the low of that gap up as, as your risk. So watching that one. And then the last one is RHP. This is Ryman Hospitality and they are a leader in the lodging, um, lodging business and they specialize in upscale convention center resorts and country music entertainment experiences. This one's uh, kind of just consolidating in a large stage one base between, you know, this 100 to 80, 70 level. Um, I think it could, if it could clear that 100 psych level, it could see some more upside. But for now, it's just in the stage one base. And uh, more times than not, you're going to have more success getting into a stock when it's in the stage two, but something to keep an eye out as a lot of stocks are in stage one, so they cannot get explosive as they go into that stage two uptrend. So yeah, those were, uh, those are five stocks in my sector that, that were, uh, that I'm watching and, and looking out for. How about and the breadth Don, numbers? Yeah, so if you want to pull the uh, the picture of the NASDAQ new highs, new lows, or the yeah New York Stock Exchange. Yeah, so something we've been seeing that we haven't seen in previous rallies is just strong positive breath. When you look at this, the breath, we've been getting positive readings all rally, and this is something you want to see. You want to see new highs outnumbering the new lows, and 
just going back, I mean, the bear market was fueled by bad breath, stocks making new lows. Um, and now we're just seeing a total new character change. And this is something that's really good to help catch turning points in the market as well, because when this when these uh, new highs, new lows started flipping up, that's really when the market started uh, getting over their shorter term moving averages and, and switching trends. So as long as this stays positive, I think that's really good for the markets. And then if we start seeing breath weaken, then we might want to get more defensive. But for now, we're seeing breath thrust and, and it's looking really good all around. And, th and th then, that's a great point about the difference with this versus uh, the prior bear market rallies that we saw last year. Uh, for example, here's June to August and here's October to November. Uh, but during those, not you didn't you just didn't see the breadth the way you did right at the beginning of this year when we started making new highs. And 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 let me clarify for the listeners. So obviously the stock nerd community, the stock nerds know what the market breadth is. But for you new listeners or for the people that that aren't necessarily uh, technical or just learning or just getting on our podcast, market breadth means a number of advancing securities issues on the NYSE, the New York Stock Exchange versus decliner stocks going up or down. And the other one was the Russell, the small cap. So in other words, of the on the New York Stock Exchange, how many winners versus losers each day? What how the the absolute number of stocks that are green versus red? And in a bear market, obviously that's going to be negative. That's going you're going to have more losers than than winners and it'll get more and more acute as you start getting you're really accelerating to the downside. And as you start picking up for a rally or a new prime, a new strong uptrend, you're actually seeing positive market breadth and you see a lot more companies that are doing well and are in the green. All right, Don, go ahead. Um, new uh, S&P and NASDAQ, very similar as well. These are the percent of uh, stocks above their 200 day moving average. And again, um, previous bear market rallies, they it was hard to get long and be convinced because many stocks were just having short-term bounces and not getting over their 200-day. But this time around, we've seen a total change in character. Um, all the indexes are trading above the 200-day moving average. And many stocks that have been suppressed for the past year are now finally getting over their 200-day moving average. So a total change in character. and. You know, as long as individual stocks and indexes are are above their 200 day, then I think that's that's a really good sign for the markets, and that's a time to start looking to get long and whatnot. So, as long as this is holding, I think, you know, you can't deny the strength we're seeing across the board. Right. And, and by the stuff, way, folks, Connor. yeah, by the way, folks, that advancing and declining issues—that's actually hard data. Real time, right now, data, not not forecasting. So remember, given the difficulties of forecasting the future, it is very useful to simply know the present. That right there is the present in real time. All right, Don. Michael, what do you got for All us right. today? All right, I got something special. Um, for, before, before I get into my... Uh, 
my, my uh, <laughs> segment, I guess the the, the sector. Uh, for, first, I wanted to uh, mention a, a bit of insight that um that I learned from from Don this week that that was pretty valuable. I hadn't really thought of this. Is that um so the way the way you can think about the market um something that happens is most funds are um they they're they're their tracked or, or their performance is based on on relative performance, the index. So in a situation like we had, where based on positioning and um, sort of where we were at in the market, um, a lot of funds were were caught off sides on this um, dovish uh, press conference from, from Powell. And um, when the index is rallying and these funds aren't participating, they're lagging the index and they have to do something to really uh, catch up to the market. And you'll see um so high beta stocks are ones that will because they're high beta what that means is that they're going to move faster than the market so you can see some huge moves in um in high beta stocks and that's somewhere you can look it's not necessarily going to be like at the top of the charts hitting all-time highs but from a basing pattern you can get some some amazing moves in in high beta stocks um in that scenario um and that that's somewhere that that you can look for, because um, the market's got a pile in somewhere to catch up, and or, or not the markets, the index, uh, the funds um, to to catch up to the index. So those those high betas can um can get some great moves, and and we've seen that that's this week. Um, Arc outperforming basically. Arc is an ETF of high beta names, um, and Arc has been since it got above the twenty one. It's it's been um. It's been leading, leading the indexes. Um, so, looking for those liquid leaders um, that are high beta is is a, a good strategy coming off off lows when the when the market's rallying. Um, so that was that was something new I learned. Uh, I was learning new stuff on the job. That's why uh, this this job is amazing. Um, you're just every day you're learning something. Um, and then my my sector. Um, so I wanted to follow up on something I'd spoken about. Um, sort of an area I was looking at, um, which was the miners and the mining stocks. And um, I wanted to, um, I guess, give a little more detail as to why that's that's a theme going forward and why it th those stocks should continue to um, perform. And basically what it comes down to is electrification and more specifically um, EV batteries. And, and there's, well, not more specifically, but that's a huge um, area of electrification. And um, there's a lot of problems in that supply chain. So basically, China controls 80% of uh, battery materials and um, especially lithium processing. Um, Russia is the largest processor of class one nickel and one of the largest um, in refined copper and aluminum. And all of those are important components, not just for the batteries, but for the cars in general. And then the DRC um, produces most of the cobalt which um, is also a very important material for um, the chemistry of the batteries. Um, and basically, 6.6 um, .6 million EVs were sold in uh, 2021. And the target by 2026 is an increase to 20.6 million. And that equates to a compound annual growth rate of 25.6%. And the issue with that growth rate, that aggressive growth rate, is a lot of that supply uh, for the for the battery materials and for the aluminum and the copper and all the materials that go into the car, that doesn't exist currently. <laughs> and um, by by 2030, they're expecting that to go up to even 
go higher up to 30 to 33 million, which from 2026 to 2030 would be a 10% compound annual growth rate. So it's going to be an aggressive growth rate to 2026, and then it'll taper off to about 10% between 2026 and 2030. But we're going to need a huge um, increase in supply to reach the stated goals. And I didn't send um, Dan this report, but I, I will now, and maybe we can add it to the uh, show notes. But the, the, there's a very comprehensive report by the IEA, which is the um, International Energy Agency. And um, basically, something that was super interesting in that report is um, they actually have a chart um, with the number of mines that are, that are needed to reach um, both the stated policies which are actually stated by governments, and then the announced pledges by um, certain EV manufacturers and by by um, by certain um, states and countries. And um, basically, just to the, the three main ones: uh, lithium, nickel, and cobalt. Um, so by twenty twenty six to twenty twenty thirty, there's um, by twenty twenty six, they're going to have to increase. Um, the mines by they're gonna have to add 30 lithium mines and we're currently at about 80 and then by 2030 they're gonna have to add another 50 so they're gonna have to double the amount of uh, lithium mines by 2030 and then for nickel they'll have to add um they're gonna have to double nickel as well and pretty much double cobalt so they're gonna have to double the mines for for all of them and um an area I've been looking at, an ETF that tracks the uh, the biggest names in the um, the, the mining sector is is PIC, um, P-I-C-K. And um, as you can see here, it had been doing well. I mean, we'll we'll see what happens. It could easily pull back to the uh, to the 50-day. Um, not saying it's going to go up forever, but it has been strong. It's losing some relative strength now recently um, in this big rally. Um, and another name is um, that's is, so pick the the largest holdings are BHP and Rio, and um, BHP is is one of the strongest, but also pulling back, so that that's that's weighing on the um, on the ETF. But um, it's got some smaller names in there that that you could play as well um, that aren't as big of holdings in um, in pick, which is SCCO, which is actually looking um, looking pretty good. It was looking good this morning having. Um, Checked on it intraday, but um, looks as though it could be trying to break out of uh, a little handle. Um, and yeah, so so that's the theme. Not saying it's necessarily going to work. You have to pay attention to the technicals and see um, where your best entries and exits are. At the moment, it's losing relative strength, um, so I wouldn't be buying here. But on a pullback to the 50-day, um, as we've seen in the past, these these kind of move a little slower. They're not they're not high beta. They you don't have to um, jump into them or rush. There, there's definitely no FOMO by institutions necessarily to buy them. So um, you can be a little more tactical and, and get in at, at low risk entries. So um, those are my thoughts on the miners. All right. Uh, you you were uh, spot on on that pick play. That um, was a beautiful contracted volume contracted pullback right to the 21 and then boom moved out with big uh big volume on one six we know what one six was that was the follow-through day when uh our uh we got the signal to proceed from a growth stock standpoint 
uh, by William uh, from William O'Neill's time-tested system that we are disciples of and uh, we follow very closely as far as giving signals for getting in and getting out of the market. Uh, and as far as uh, getting in and getting out of the market uh, intraday today, all pullbacks again continue to be bought despite the strength in the dollar uh, and despite the fact that really by any measure we're extended to the upside versus uh, the, the short-term and medium-term moving averages that we use. But um, the bull is uh, definitely got his, uh, his horns into the throat of the bear. And that's not to say it's gonna stay like that. We're due for a pullback, but you can't argue with the price action and you can't argue with the fact that every pullback uh, has been bought really leading up to the Fed. It was a bullish setup and then post-Fed also. So that's our take on the markets right now, Friday night. In my video, I'll update the 21 over 21 list and uh, dive a little bit deeper into leading names. All right. Thanks, Don. Listen, folks. Um, so last year, all the rallies were sold off. So the rallies tried to run. We get these short bear market rallies, and then they're ending up so, uh, so selling off. We'll see if this rally continues. But right now, it's more bullish than some of the others. There's been a, a little bit better follow through and a little bit longer follow through. I, I, I want to make one comment on what Mike was talking about with those, those uh, rare earth metals, folks. That is the kind of supply demand disruption I'm talking about when I was talking about the oil, the Straits of Hormuz getting closed. So right now, the supply demand picture for those metals, look, I'm all for green energy as long as it's ready for prime time and it's, and it's doable, okay? But right now, the politicians and everybody are pushing for this electric green electric cars and they're doing it at such rapid pace. There's not a fast enough, they're not giving enough transition time. And what Michael was saying is, we don't have enough of those rare metals, period. I mean, they don't have close to enough to to fill the quotas they're talking about for nineteen for 2030. So there definitely is going to be a shortage of supply, which is bullish for that. Now, with that, so if you're, I cringe when I say this, if you're an asset allocator or kind of a longer term, then you should have some. Uh, exposure to that. You may even be a little overweight in that. We don't do it that way because especially with commodity space, those things have wild swings. So while they'll still have a, a big rise, 20, 30, 40, 50, 80%, they'll also have big drops. Remember lumber had a big rise when inflation, right before the inflation numbers came out. And then right as they were released, it became obvious, uh, lumber had a huge drop. So these commodities are wildly uh, volatile. And so what we try to do is we try to catch some of the trends. So we'll we'll be in these rare earth metals multiple times over the next few, three or four or five years, Multi but we won't be in them the whole time. That's just not how we do things at Revere. All right, folks, listen, if you like what you heard, please tell a friend, tell a neighbor. As you can tell, we're raw data. We're data driven. We're in real time. We're looking, we're not a beautiful, polished podcast with with, you know, huge, huge, uh, uh, what do you call it? Studio, Zach, and everything's perfect. In fact, so we're doing a lot of the uh, produ production live on air. If you got a, a topic or something you want to talk about, you can either, e you can send me a tweet like Nicole did. My Twitter handle is at the number one, Danny Stewart. 
S-T-E-W-A-R-T, like Stu, you eat, aren't you paying, right? Or you can email any of us, dan at revereasset.com, don at revereasset.com, Ted, Michael, or Connor at revereasset.com. And you can always call us old school at 855-REAL-WEALTH. Folks, have a good weekend, and we'll talk to you next week on your money. Because it's not how much you make in the market, it's how much you can keep. Your Money Radio podcast covers general topics and investment ideas for research. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be investment advice. If you want or need investment advice, contact your own advisors or reach out to Revere Asset Management for individual investment advice. For more information, just go to revereasset.com.